God of vengeance, that's who you serve. If you see him as only a king, then you'll always serve him as a servant. If you see him as the one who is in control of, uh, completely in control of your, uh, your eternity, then you'll see him as an eternal judge. And that's the way you'll serve him. But what's important is that you understand as we can't come over to the New Testament that God emphasized how he wants us to serve him. He wants us to serve him as a father. And that doesn't change everything that he is, but it changes how we see ourselves before him. And I was amazed at how, how some of the things that Sandra and Joy were saying, how it, how it fed in. Not amazed because I don't trust the leading of God in them, but I'm just always amazed at how God is able to use this, this human body empowered by his spirit that we can all work separately and yet come together with a a significant message straight from the heart of God, and it somehow fits. How does he do that? I'm not sure. He's God. And the other thing I want to make as a statement is, I believe this one came from Graham Cook, if I'm not mistaken. But let me think exactly how he, how he put this, because in my mind it's powerful that the most important knowledge you will ever gain is your knowledge of God. And out of your knowledge of God will determine how you live your life. Now, for some reason, for the last long time, we have developed in this nation, and then because of our affluence and our wealth, we have centered around the world, that Christianity is largely about God empowering us to become a better me. Leslie mentioned this here last Sunday. I was again amazed because I, I tagged in in between, in, in between Quincy and Monroe City. I tagged in and listened to the service here. And, and Leslie and I did not compare notes, but we preached a lot of the same thing, except it happened here in Quincy and in Monroe City. But because of our thinking that we must do things to become a better me, and somehow that better me is the one that will begin to touch the heart of God, and at some point I will become good enough, I will have done enough stuff, I will have prayed long enough, I will have memorized enough scripture, I will have done all this stuff enough that he will finally hear me, and somehow I will begin to touch the supernatural. But really, that, that is not even close to it. Matter of fact, that would come all the way from the Garden of Eden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where we would begin to measure ourselves by our knowledge of good and our knowledge of evil. And just let me say that there is nothing you can do to make you more accepted at the throne of God than you are right now. Because Jesus paid that price. You are accepted in the beloved. That's the statement that Paul made. That it's, it's powerful. That, that whole chapter is powerful there in Ephesians. No matter of fact, the whole book, the epistle to the Ephesians is a powerful, powerful book. But just understand that 
in spite of what you've done yesterday, in spite of what you might do today, you're accepted in Him. In Him. In Him we live and move and breathe and have our being. Yes, I know I added something in there. I either laugh. It's according to which translation you use. One says we live and move. One says we live and breathe. So when you're breathing, you're moving. So I think it all works. <clears throat> but I, th- I thought I saw a couple of heads go, does he really say that? According to which translation? Uh, this combination there. The thing that we need to understand and we need to kind of redirect is our knowledge of God. And I don't know if the title that I put on this made it to the screen or not, but as I was working on it, my title that I worked with was just Behold Your God. And too many times I think we try to behold Him in His glory. We try to behold Him in His righteousness, in His perfect nature. And don't realize that he just wants to know you as a son. He wants to know you as a daughter. And he wants you to know him as a father. And if you ponder that a little bit, in spite of our flaws as, as parents, as human parents, we, you still begin to understand a little bit of God's love for us. And if you'll follow it through with that idea and look at the Old Testament, it'll change the way you see things. I'm going to read quite a long passage and starting out here, and, and I won't go back and read it over again. I'll just read it, and then I'll refer to some things in it. But this passage is Deuteronomy 28, chapter 28, verses 7 through 14. Now, just listen. Just listen to it. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way and will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns in all that you put your hand to and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself as he swore to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So all the peoples of the earth will see that you're called by the name of the Lord and they'll be afraid of you. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your beasts, and in the produce of your ground, and in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land and in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you will only be above and you will not be underneath. If you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today to observe them carefully, do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. Now just let me give you some definitions and give a little exhortation as we go. Previous to those verses there that I read, or following them one, I forget. I I read so much that I forget what order things come in sometimes. But it talks about the curse, either before or after. You can look it up. But I want you to understand what the curse is all about. It's it's a word that 
was used because it was referring to spoken warning or spoken advice from one that is an authority. But it's a word that has to do with mental things, that there has been this admonishment given to you, this, this advice given to you, this, this warning given to you by one who knows, and the choice that you make to not follow after that causes all kinds of difficulties in your mind. It, it causes all kinds of obstacles, and you begin to be hemmed in by the obstacles, and you can't see a way out, can't see a way to overcome it. And that's really what the curse means, is that, that God spoke some things, and he, he gave us some, some wisdom and understanding, and said, now, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. This is, this is what it's going to look like. Now, just let that settle on you for just a moment. Now, the word bless. Um, I've talked about that a lot here, but let me, let me put it in a in an Old Testament form, that blessed simply means that he comes to where you are, comes to your level, and welcomes you with honor. He, he comes to you and he honors you. And to honor means that he's going to give of his own life to enable you and help you to live his life. Now hang with me, I'm going somewhere here. Now the word command... Command is a, is a word that we, oh, we think we know about that because if we're not military background and some of our family are and we know about command, but that's really not what it is. First of all, command is not a suggestion. It's stronger than that. But it's not the demand of a military leader either. But a command is the truth spoken from the authority of knowledge. Now, God knows about this stuff. So he says this is what will come out of this and that will, that applies to both blessing and cursing now in, around the word command it's in the sense of calling something to you that if you live according to the way God suggests then his ways are not hard but if you live according to the way God suggests then you will be calling something to you and that's called a blessing. That's God coming to your level and beginning to bring his life to you and to teach you how it's done. But if you live this other way, you're still calling something to you. And that's what we've talked about the curse. You're, you're calling this, this thing of death to you. You're calling this labor that gets into your mind and, and your, your, your life gets to be something that you don't know how to get out of. And so you're calling something other than God into your into your uh, lifestyle. Now, in the passage of Scripture that I read, the Bible says, if you keep His commandments. But let me tell you what the, the, what the original says. is you shall keep His commandments. You see, we, we got this shift in the way that we think about God. That God is not saying, now, if you do this, 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 and this, then... then you're going to, you know, I'm going to, at some point here, I'm going to start to bring the supernatural into my life. He's saying, if you walk as I have directed you to walk, if you live as I have directed you to live, 
you're going, to get, you're going to live like this. It shall happen. You, the commandment, those things that are called to you, those, those things that, that I have declared, it's going to happen. It's not, if you do it, then someday it will. It's, it's in the middle of happening. And this, this blessing chapter here closes out by saying, all these blessings will come on you. It says they'll overtake you as you live life. So there's nothing about earning it it's all about you living in a way where you're engaged with Him and you're doing something with Him and you're wanting His will and His way. Now, help me a minute here in your thinking. Because we've been, we've been taught, taught or we, and I don't know if we've caught it or if we've actually been taught that, but we think that this is all about God. We had the fall, and now God don't really like us, but if we'll do all this stuff, well, then he'll keep his agreement. We, we kind of think that way, not realizing that the entire New Testament is a record of God working and pulling and redeeming his people, and it's also a record of people who really wanted God, but they didn't know quite how. They wanted the ways of the world, and they also wanted God, but deep in them was a desire to know God, and they were trying. They, they built more laws and more laws and more laws and more laws, and they, all of this thing they were going through, but it is a record of a people that were doing all they felt like they could do in the natural to be God's people because they were afraid not to. And then you see this loving God that's working with them and trying to arrange things where they can eventually uh, begin to live in a way that will draw his blessing. But it's all, a, it's all a record of God's confidence that he would be able to do something that would bring his people around to live in line with what he knows will bring righteousness. And even living in line causes us some problem because we think, well, okay, I've got I've to do this, I've got to do that. No, he's, he's inviting you saying, come on, live like this and then I can bless you. Live like this and I can bring this to you. Live like this, that's where my blessing flows. Live like this, that's where peace is. Live like this, that's where emotional stability is. Live like this, that's where healing is. And like I mentioned several weeks ago, the old, uh, the old Sue that says, you can't get to a destination until you get, on the, get your feet on the pathway. You can never get to what God has for you until you begin to understand you're not trying to please him because of the blood. You please him. You hear me? Uh, you say, oh, well, that's greasy grace. Well, what are you going to do with the scripture that says, blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. Your sin... I will remember no more. And that, that's, that memory of God is alive today. That scripture is alive today. It's not the sin of the people back in the 1800s. God will remember no more. It's your sin five minutes ago. If you'll turn and walk with him, he will remember no more. That will not be on his record book. My goodness. Does that change something in you? Instead of coming and saying, oh God, I'm so sorry. I, I, if you'll just help me to live with strength. He's saying, what are you talking about? Come on, go with me. <clears throat> now, verse 9 of that passage I read in the original. It's, um, I, I'm not going to go back and read it, but you can look at it later. But Deuteronomy 28, verse 9, in the original says this. 
in this way walks your God. Hmm. That's different, isn't it? In this way walks your God. In this way walks your God. You can, you can go all the way back to Adam and Eve and think about that. What did God do when he, when he, after they had sinned and they hid themselves? God, as, as He began to move among them, what did He say? Adam and Eve, you're wicked and I don't know what I'm going to do with you. He said, where are you? Come on. And they told Him that, that they, they had this problem and He said, who told you that? I didn't say that. And I would suggest that most of our uh, positioning ourselves, trying to uh, be more accepted, finds us before God with him saying, come on, where are you? Come back here. And then when we start telling him about all the reasons he shouldn't bless us, he'd say, who told you that? I didn't tell you that. <laughs> Folks, this is what we live in. Now, if you can grasp this idea... That he's not a God who sees people hopelessly lost. But he's a God that senses what is truly in you. The desire that is truly in you. He sees that. He senses that. He lays hold of that. He draws on that. And he begins to draw you into things that, that you never thought were possible. And if you can just just discover that God is different than we've been taught that He is. And God is dealing with the confusion of uncertainty in our minds because He wants you to know that you can approach Him. Now, most of you know that I've, I've been pretty, pretty hard on the idea of religious praying. Why? Because God's not there. Where is He? He's in my communication with him as my father and oh I do a lot of that and I let you identify for yourself what the difference is but just understand that God wants to deal with the confusion of your uncertainty and to assure you this morning that he loves you and that he's here and he's he doesn't just break every chain he's already broken every chain and if you're bound up in it, you're lying there in broken chains. You just need to get up and move toward Him. Hmm. Now, there's a desire. Here's what something else God knows about us. Is there's a desire in us to eat the good of the land. You know, it seems like people are in, in, the, in the religious world are on one side of the fence or the other. They either want all the best of everything where they think all the best is sin. But I'm telling you, there's something in us that wants to eat the good of the land. There's something that wants to get all the best out of God's creation. And, and we need to understand what He thinks is best. But God understands that there's that in us that, that we want to push through and we want to know some things and we want to put it to work and we want to see His power on display and we want to see His blessing and His prosperity on display. We want that. Now, just let me say something here. He put that in us from the beginning. And let me say something further. A gospel without power is no gospel at all. I'm telling you, there's very little good news when you, when you are around and listen to people talking and there's nothing about the power of God to save, deliver, and heal in it. There's no good news in that. 
It causes something to shrivel up on the inside of you and you sit there wondering, why have we not understood that the good news lies in the power of God to change us? Yes, we live in a world that desperately needs change, but we're looking into a realm that where the change actually dwells and he says, lay hold of that which is unseen. And begin to draw it in because those things that are unseen are more real than these things that we're facing here. And if we'll draw that into our life, then Jesus will begin to bleed forth from us because he's with us always, even unto the end of the world. We need to understand that God really knows who we are better than we do and listen to him. Now, he also understands that that desire to eat of the good of the land has been redirected by a lot of people and now they just want to be in control. And you know what? I think God will be just fine with allowing us to be in control except that He knows we'll just mess it up again if we are. And He's wanting us to listen to Him because He will direct our paths if we'll listen to Him. And you know, He's not real impressed by a rebellious spirit. He's not really impressed by an independent spirit. He's impressed by the way His spirit works. Because he's watched it for centuries, for eternity to eternity, and he knows this is what brings righteousness, peace, and joy. And that's what the kingdom is. And I, as I've studied this over the past few years, I've, I've begun to be appalled at myself and how little of the peace and joy part of it that I've ever been able to live out. Why? Because I always felt like I had to pay a bigger price. I felt like I had to do more. I had to pray for more people. I had to, I had to know more scripture. I had to spend more time studying. I had to spend more time praying. And then maybe someday I would be anointed, not realizing I was anointed from the day that I accepted that new life. And I can tell you, the anointing on my, on my person has not expanded since that day. My understanding and how to work with it has expanded, but it's the same anointing that saved my soul that dwells on me now. You just learn more and more how to work with it. So the entire Old Testament is not about God's judgment on mankind. It's about God positioning things and bringing it back to where he could actually touch mankind, where he could actually do something with them. You know, he, he working with his people. Now, just for, before I go to the New Testament completely, just think of what this really must mean in the heart of God as he's watched his people stand back and, and judge him. And, well, God really must, and I know you don't actually say this, but isn't, isn't it in the thought patterns? If, if, if you think that God should have done this, that the thought pattern immediately goes to there's something so wrong with me as God's creation that, that he can't bless me as he promised me he would bless me. And so you begin to live in that and you begin to, you begin to do all this stuff and, and all, of this, all of this stuff that more and more and more and, and more and more. I talked to a young leader just a couple of weeks ago and he told me that, that you know, I know this thing I'm going into and I know that that it's going to take a lot, of, a lot of response to God, so I'm going to have to do a lot of fasting. And I said, why? <laughs> well, so, so, so I can hear God. I said, man, you've been hearing God. If you want to do some fasting, do it for a different reason. Do it so that God will change you and that God will open you up and that, that you'll begin to, to live more on that level. But don't do it trying to hear Him for a situation. You should be able to hear Him in the situation. 
You should be able to move with, with what God is saying. You're already doing it. Why would you want to stop that by thinking, now I've got to do this fasting and I've got to do all this stuff so that God can cause me to hear Him? No, that's not what it's for. Look at, look at Isaiah 58. It'll talk to you about that. Uh, we've got to understand that we're not earning anything because Jesus paid the price. And the reason this is so important is because there is an army rising up. It's an army of the family of God. It's not, it's not this militant group, but it's the family of God that are rising up understanding that He loves them and He has given them the release on the earth. And my goodness, there's things will happen when we begin to truly walk in that identity. And that's what it means to come in the name of Jesus. It, you know, there is some power in saying that name, but the real power is in living that name and demonstrating that character and realizing that there is a way to walk. That's where the real power is. So, God has worked all the way through the New Testament, or Old Testament, to bring us to this time that the Bible calls, uh, in the Greek, it calls it Kairos, where He can come as a man and lead the most powerful people the earth has ever known. And He did just that. Because somehow it's always been in the plan of God, it's always been in His knowledge that He was going to need to come as a man and show what, it, show what was to be done so that man could live in it. So when he came as a man, what did he do? He challenged the religious and had deep relationship with both the righteous and the unrighteous because he understood the power that was upon him. I just was thinking of Sanders' testimony about her uh, relationships this week that Sometimes it's just the power of being there. It's not what you say. It's not what you do. It's not, it's not them not getting them to change. It's just the power of the presence of God that's in you being there. And it opens up things. It, it causes things to begin to change and things to happen. Uh, but it, it, in reality, it's having the confidence that not only does he come to me, work in me, and work out from me, but he really does work out from me. That when I'm in a situation, if I'm aware of it and will cooperate, I can bring the supernatural to the natural. And I don't have to do it through a, a, a long and involved prayer. I don't have to do it through quoting scripture. Just being there. Just being there. Just being there. I've seen that so much in the, in the past week or so that saying nothing but the presence of God making a difference. Just watching it happen. Now, Mark chapter 11, verse 22 is a scripture that most of us that have been around the charismatic world for a while know very well. But Jesus said, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Now, from what I've just said, think of what that means. That I have faith in a God that genuinely loves me, genuinely loves you, and genuinely loves them, and cares very deeply about their eternity. Have faith in that God. Have faith in that God. Have faith that in any situation, because I'm there, it's going to be different because he's here. That I don't have to see it. 
I just know it. Have faith in God. Have faith in God that through literally thousands of years, he made this turn and he made this turn. He didn't change. He just, he just began to approach things from a different... He responded to relationship. Think about... Uh, I, don't have the, I won't have the exact words, so you can chalk this down as a, as a paraphrase, but go look at it. But when Israel had finally got to the point where it had violated everything, to the point where God told Moses... And Moses, I'm going to have to wipe them out. I want you to just back off. And what did Moses do? He said, oh, no. If you're, going to, if you're going to do that, just take me too. To God. And what did God do? In my words, he said, that's what I was looking for. That's the relationship I wanted to see. Now I don't have to. Why? Because you interceded. You, you said... God, just take me out too if you're going to take them out. God, I want you to do it this way. Why? Because Moses knew the ways of God. And over and over in the Old Testament, you can see where God waited to see if men would, would respond to him before he did whatever he would do. Look at the time of Noah. He could have wiped out all of creation at that time, but he chose not to. Why? Because he found one man that would respond to him. You follow on through and you'll see Noah was not a perfect man. But he did respond to God. He found one man that would do something that seemed crazy. But it was God. And he said, because of this, I'll start a completely new race on the earth. Because of this man that would listen to me. Because of you, he'll change your world. Because of you, he'll change your children. Because of you, he'll change your relatives. Because of you, he'll change your friends. You just got to be aware that he dwells in you, and that's what he's waiting for. When you look at, when you look at these, these young people out here, that one of the local pastors and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, that there's some of them so desperately addicted, and I'd say a large percentage of them certainly addicted to the Internet at the very least. But we look at them, some of them, they just checked out on life. They just really have no life. Now, they wouldn't agree with that, but you look at them, they have no life. We don't want to let that stand. We want to say, no, God, I want you to touch this generation. I want you to interject yourself into this. I want you to make a difference. Why? Because he dwells in us. And we've got to put ourselves out there and put ourselves at risk and say, let's try this thing. Let's give it a go because I'm in relationship with a mighty God. Not one that's going to stand by and see his creation go to nothing, but one that is waiting. He said, I look for a man that would stand in the gap. I look for a man that would make up the head. I look for a man. God, help us to be that man. Help us to be that woman that will stand there and say, oh no, not while I'm alive. God, because of my relationship with you, I say to you, if you're going to wipe them out, take me out too. You know what he'll say? That's what I was looking for. Let's work among this group. Let's do something. Let's reach in. Let's pull. You remember the story in the Old Testament that um, I believe it was the Amalekites that had come down year after year and stole the crop from Israel. But then one year there's a man and, uh, and he pulled a group around him. and They just, I just use Oklahoma English. I've left this pea patch my last time. I ain't leaving here. And you know what? God beat the armies that were coming against him. Why? Because a few of them just said, oh no, it's not going down this way this year. You know, we've watched generations of kids move away from God in this nation. I think it's time a generation like us stood up and said, oh, no, not this generation. 
not this generation. We're going to stand up and be counted. We're going to do something. And just to establish on the earth, this is the kind of thing that establishes on earth the relationship between God and man. God has said it. We have to establish it to say how God has touched me. And without apology, yes, I do serve a living God. I don't serve rote and ritual. I have an ongoing relationship with God. If I pray for you, the power of heaven is going to touch you. If I talk to you, the voice of Christ is going to come through me. Why? Because he's in me. And he works out through me. Folks, we've got to get back to this. Instead of hiding away and say, well, if I pray enough, if I quote enough scripture, if I study enough, that I'll finally be anointed enough to touch a generation. No, he filled me. And he reaches out through me. And he wants me out there more than he wants me in here. <laughs> Pastors are not supposed to say things like that. Yeah, oh well. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 32. I debated whether to do communion today or not, but I want this to marinate in you a little bit before we do it, so we're going to wait a week or two, probably two. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. This is Paul's writing. That the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... Now imagine that I have a piece of the bread broken off. This is my body, which is for you. All present tense. This is my body. Of course it's a symbol. But it's a symbol of something that will always be happening. This is my body, which is broken for you. This is my body, which is broken for you. Now, I'm going to leave that there for a moment and go on. I'll come back to it. Do this in remembrance of me, or do this to remember that. Now, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I... I i just got to believe God's going to help me to get this across. But the cup is representative of His blood. His blood was shed for my sin. All of the prophets that talked about it, Isaiah in particular, talked about once for all. And talked about that blood being more than enough. The writer of the Hebrews said it's precious blood. It's, it's beyond the blood of bulls and goats. And people have accused us for years. They, they, you, you have a bloody religion. And yes, we have a bloody religion. It's because of the blood of a man who was God that came and shed his blood for you and I. And the, this, the present tense of these scriptures tells us that when we partake of this cup, it's not remembering what was done back then. It's remembering the ongoing cleansing properties of the blood of Jesus that takes place right now. My sin five minutes ago don't matter because I'm partaking of that blood right now. I, I don't have to go back and fix something to ask Him for healing because He fixed it. Now, back to the bread. This body which was broken, now is broken for you. That body, I, 
you know, the stripes on his back and on and on and on we could go. But there wasn't one bone in his body broken. Not one bone. Why? Because the strength of that body will live on and on and on and on. But that bread, that body, that bread represents was broken for your health, your healing, something happening to you, not the past, but now. Something about that sacrifice that lives on and on. For whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, I've heard that hammered in too many bad ways. Let me tell you what it's talking about. And you study it out and see if I'm not right. Don't just take my word for it. Get in the book and find out. If you partake of that while thinking, oh, I'm unworthy, I'm just remembering what Jesus done, but it's not for me. I'm not going, I, I, I'm such a sinner. I'm, I, I'm not worthy of his healing. If you take it in that manner, then you're guilty. You're preparing your mind to receive those things. But if you will ponder it and you'll think, that blood was shed for me. And it's the ongoing, ongoing cleansing properties that matter. If you look in First John, you'll see all of that. And maybe we'll do that in a couple of weeks too. But I'm forgiven. I stand here forgiven. I stand here Forgiven, cleansed. Now, you say, oh, but you don't know the sin that's in my life. Okay, you take the book. And I'll, I'll sit down with you. You take the book. You're going to need it. And you show me the sin where it finally is enough and it just destroys you completely. In my terms, just blows your spiritual head off. Because if that's the deal, you'll find it there somewhere. But you can't find it. Why? Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. He won't impute your history. He forgives you now. Cleanses you. Cleanses you. Cleanses you. Changes you. Cleanses you. I'm telling you, if you can't point to a time when you will change, you haven't yet experienced what it is to be cleansed. And to accept that and to have it wash over you. And once you begin to understand that, that you're before Him, this cleansed being, and He now indwells you because He purposed that that's the way it would work. Now, if He would come, and instead of working with men from the outside, as He did in the Garden of Eden, if He would come and fill us and work from the inside, that that would work. That'll make it happen. And He, he begins to take us then. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Hear me. Righteousness has to do with relationships. From all fouled up relationships with your family, from all fouled up relationships with your God, He cleanses you from that and begins to restructure that from right here. That all of a sudden I don't have anybody to be angry at because I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm a part of the family and the household of God. I've got nothing in my past. His mercies are new every morning for me and for my family, and for my friends, and oh my, now He's living in me, He's indwelling me, He's coming to me. Guess what? There's no room for demons when He's, when he's working me over. God doesn't give that kind of space. 
A man must examine, he must determine the nature and the condition of yourself. And I've just described to you the nature and the condition of man. When you come to him. I want, you to, I want you to experience that right now. Somebody is experiencing it fresh and new right now. That you come to him right now. Taking advantage of what he did in the past. But what is the ongoing cleansing properties of the blood of Jesus. He cleanses you. And your history means nothing to him now. And he'll help you to get to where it means nothing to you. Where you begin to realize that I'm clean. I'm clean. And in so doing, he's to eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, and he eats and drinks judgment to himself if he don't judge the body rightly. I'm challenging you to judge it rightly this morning. You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. I'm telling you, Christ is not marked by sin. Yeah, he has the scars. But it's the scars. You're not marked by sin. Unless you choose to be in your mind, and that's going to hem you in. Where nothing can get you out but God. And that's what brings the curse on you. But when you begin to walk in ways of righteousness for His name's sake, and realize that there's life working in you where death once worked, now life working, that you're moving on and on, coming from light to light, working until you begin to shine forth like the noonday sun where God is bringing you out of darkness into this marvelous light. You who were once not a people, but now are the people of God. This is what happens. I think we've diminished the power of salvation so much in our day that people don't realize that, yeah, you really can have a born-again experience. It's not that you just start talking different and start being a better you. He changes you. Rearranges you. And makes it where you can begin to live out a righteous life as you're guided by Him. Man, we got to get back to that. Because it's high time that we began to realize that it's not right that sin should reign in bodies when he died for that same sin so that it didn't have to reign in you. And it goes on to say, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. If we had judged ourselves rightly, and there again we go to the negative, it doesn't mean that you look and think of all this stuff you've done. That's not what it means. It means that you realize, oh my goodness, I am a new creation. That I've, I've, I've moved out of darkness. There's, there's something new in me. This, this is working. If you judge that rightly, then you don't have to worry about anybody else judging you. But when we are judged, when God does say something like, well, you need to take care of this, it's just being disciplined by the Lord so that you don't have to be condemned along with all the people around you that's allowing themselves to be condemned. God will bring things to your attention, but He's not saying you're going to have to do penance. He's saying, hey, let's, fix, let's work on this because I need to get you over here into more life and more light. I need you to help me to bring my light to a lost world. Folks, we need to make a difference in our, in our city. I just heard a story this morning about, I'm not going to say it, what, what all happened because I don't know if it's hit the media yet. But right here in rural America, this, it seems like everything's going crazy. But guess what happened? 
When the light begins to shine in darkness, there's these last fits that the darkness throws, these last vestiges of, of power of darkness that begins to happen. And if we're not careful as Christians, we panic. Oh, no, the devil's on the loose. No, he's not. He's always before the throne of God, the accuser of the brethren. That's all he is. That's who he is. That's where he is. I'm not worried about him. Because the light of God is beginning to shine. Darkness is starting to get a little bit antsy. And guess what? It should be. Because its days are numbered. And it's already been determined where it will go and what will happen. But where we'll go and what we'll do has already been determined as well. And so when God gives us what we have translated commands, He's just saying, hey, if you do this, then my power, my, my authority will work in you. And you can eat of the good of the land. And I bless your barns, I bless your fields, I bless your families. Folks, we need that blessing, don't we? Fire, cause